from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday, April 27th edition, the Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing earlier today where judicial nominee Nancy Abudu, who worked for the Southern Poverty Law Center, was questioned about the organization's hate list that has inspired violence. This list is what incited violence against people in groups like the Family Research Council. And you've also released a list of members of Congress who traffic in hate and extremism. The list includes me. That was Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. We'll talk with the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, in just a moment. And in what European leaders are calling blackmail, Russia has cut off natural gas sales to Poland and Bulgaria, two countries that have been helpful to Ukraine's successful stand against the Russian invaders. We'll talk with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler of Missouri, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. And Dr. Anthony Fauci has caught up with the rest of America. We are at a low level right now. So if you're saying, are we out of the pandemic phase in this country? We are. So does that mean that Dr. Fauci's job is done? Well, we'll talk about it a little later here on this edition of Washington Watch. And an alarming report from the Center for Disease Control. America's youth are experiencing a mental health crisis with record rates of anxiety, depression and suicide. What's behind this troubling trend? And and how can parents be more aware of what is happening with their children and what can they do? FRC's Dr. Jennifer Bowens is here with some answers. And is the public school classroom playing a role in this crisis? We'll talk with Meg Kilgannon, a former member of the Trump Department of Education and now senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. Religious freedom, it's a human right and a pillar of American society. Ariel Del Del Turco, the author of this new publication, joins me in studio to talk about why religious freedom is essential to America. The website is TonyPerkins.com. The program is archived there. It's Great place to uh, point people to to share the Washington Watch. Our verse for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, comes from Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Are you looking for something to hold on to in this world that is being shaken day by day? Try the Word of God. It never fails. I invite you to join us in our Bible reading plan. Go to frc.org slash Bible. also invite you to join me each morning at 8.44 a.m. Eastern Time for a daily devotional based upon the reading plan. You can find it either at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. Well, as I mentioned earlier today, the Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing for political activist Nancy Abudu, who President Biden in January nominated to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. This is the second highest court system in the United States. Over the past two months, the Family Research Council and many other conservative organizations have been sounding the alarm on this nominee, who has been working as the strategic litigation director at the disreputable Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC, or as I like to call them, the Southern Impoverished Law Center. Several senators asked Ms. Abudu about SPLC's hate list, including the top Republican on the committee, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Would you consider those organizations as a hate group? 
Senator, I wouldn't even be able to comment to that because I'm not as familiar with the, those organizations in terms of the work that they do, their mission, and again, why SPLC profiled them in that way. Well, joining us now is Senator Chuck Grassley, the ranking member on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Can you believe that she would say that, that she doesn't know anything about this? I finished up my questioning with this comment. I said over a period of several years, if you're just reading regular newspaper or commentaries about uh, politics in Washington, D.C. and about your organization, you would know that uh, these organizations has been listed uh, in a very negative way by the center that you work for. And uh, that's, uh, it just doesn't make her answers to my question credible that she doesn't know that an organization uh, 10 or 15 years ago she was associated with, and now since 2019 associated again, that she didn't know anything about the history of this organization. Uh, she, uh, she, she's oblivious uh, to these things, but it's not credible that she say that. Senator, I would I would have to agree with you. I, I would find it hard to believe that she would not be familiar with their list ranking all of these uh, conservative groups as as hate groups. I, I would I would have to question her credibility if she's not aware of a major portion of what that organization does. Yeah. We're more concerned probably with her uh, filling in details of legislation putting her personal views uh, into court decisions. If she wants to lean a statute a little bit one way or the other way, uh, or maybe she doesn't believe in the original intent of the uh, Constitution, things of that nature are really bigger than whether she knows this or not. But uh, she hurts her credibility when she says she's uh, oblivious to these accusations by her center on whether or not these Christian organizations are uh, terrorist-type organizations or hate organizations, whatever you want to call them. Well, Senator, let me get to the the issue of what you and I have talked about before, and that is judicial philosophy, because that's what we're looking at in these uh, judicial nominees. Are they going to call balls and strikes? Are they just simply going to interpret the law and, and do their role? I think, and I want to ask you, does she fall into the category of an activist when it comes to her judicial philosophy? Uh, I sure think so. I, I sub, I'm submitting, you know, you only have five minutes to ask questions. So I submit a lot of questions for answer and writing, and I'll probably wait until two weeks from now when those answers have to be returned to give you a definitive answer but everything with her background, ACLU, the center she works for now, things of that nature, that's generally the type of person you get from those organizations, that they're very political activists. They believe in big government. They believe that you and I don't know anything, and Washington has all the answers to everything. And Congress is not a democratic organization, small d democratic organization, and it takes a long time to get uh, policy through the Congress of the United States. And boy, it's real easy to get a judge to make a decision that's favorable to you. And remember, uh, 99 and 9 tenths percent of all the cases uh, are finally decided by circuits, 
uh, and she's going to be on the 11th Circuit. So she's kind of a Supreme Court, except for about 70 or 80 cases out of the year. Senator, um, she's clearly uh, extreme, but she's kind of reflective of what we're seeing from the Biden administration in terms of the type of candidates that he is nominating. And when you look at what we had four years ago and the the judges that uh, were appointed by the Trump administration that you helped get on to uh, to the bench, and then you look at what President Biden is doing, I actually think that's a really stark contrast that shows the differences, the governing ideological difference between the two parties in our country. Uh, It does. And uh, it goes back to the role of judges in our society. Are they going to be uh, uh, activists? Are they going to be try to be a super legislature? Are they trying to put their views in place of those of the elected representatives of the people? Do they think that they ought to uh, change the law, maybe just a little bit, maybe a lot, but more often just a little bit, instead of deferring to the Congress of the United States? Uh, uh, That's uh, basically what's wrong. Uh, We have a six to three uh, uh, conservative decision on the Supreme Court now, and you're already seeing some benefit from that, from these regulations that are being overturned just because they aren't following the Administrative Procedures Act of 1946, as just one example. So they're defer, they're they're saying these six conservatives are saying Congress ought to do its job, and I agree Congress ought to do its job, and I also agree that the the courts of the United States ought to have deference to the legislative branch of government that they should not be a part of it. So, Senator Grassley, does uh, Ms. Abudu get uh, confirmed? Well, if if her vote was on the floor today with two or three Democratic senators having COVID and the vice president not also having COVID, not being able to be there, no, she wouldn't be approved. But if there's 50 Democrat votes, I, I, I don't want to say that there might not be two or three Republicans that might vote for her, but... For somebody this extreme, sometimes you get all Republicans voting against. And if the vice president's available, she could be approved 51 to 50. Yes. Well, speaking of uh, COVID, I want to shift gears because Dr. Anthony Fauci, the president's chief medical advisor, grabbed some headlines by telling uh, PBS NewsHour's Judy Woodruff in an interview that the U.S. is, quote, out of the pandemic phase, end quote, Uh, Does that mean that Dr. Fauci's job is over? I hope so. Uh, But which job are you talking about? Are you talking about the job he had when he said we shouldn't wear masks, and then two months later we should wear masks? Or the difference between what he says and the CDC says? Uh, uh, I'd I'd rather offer to you his job is going to be over when Senator Paul becomes chairman of the health committee and he wants to call Fauci before the committee and Fauci's going to resign at that point. He doesn't want to go through that with Senator Paul. Yeah, I I saw your comments at a town hall meeting uh, back in Iowa about that recently, where after the November election, if the Republicans uh, are back in the majority, Senator Paul would be chairing that committee. And I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, Dr. Fauci might be looking to retire at that point. Yeah. Um, 
When you look at the, as we end this pandemic, now he declared it was over, there's still concern about the power that the federal government under the Biden administration, the executive branch, has used with these mandates. Are you concerned that at some point uh, these powers need to be clarified so that we don't begin the next crisis where we left off with this one? I'm not sure that I could tell you which law uh, the president exercises these emergency powers under. But I do know that there's a 1976 or 1977 law that is very general on what is an emergency. And uh, I joined uh, either Senator Lee or Senator Paul uh, two years ago, even when we had a Republican president, that we ought to have some review of that legislation and probably rewrite it and put some guardrails in it of, of when and how, under what conditions the president exercises his rights. Here's another thought, though, on the subject. Will this emergency be over? Uh, I, once this emergency is over, the president's going to, and his uh, bureaucracy is going to have less authority. And I don't know whether these people can give up that authority once they got it. Got it. They want going to want to keep it. So even though Fauci says uh, that the uh, pandemic's over, uh, the president's going to have to make that decision. Yes, it is over. Yeah, but, you, uh, I think they're going to be hesitant to do that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, and that's why you've got to do that Congressional Review Act to make sure that they cannot exercise this power again arbitrarily. Uh, Senator Grassley, we're out of time. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. I'll be glad to join you again if you want me. Absolutely. All right, folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, we're going to catch up with Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, who is on the floor voting. So stick around, see if we can catch her. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, We'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, the Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, 
interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back. This is Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. In what European leaders are calling blackmail, Russia has cut off natural gas sales to Poland and Bulgaria, two countries that have been helpful to Ukraine's successful stand against uh, Russia's invasion. With me now to talk about this and more is Congressman Vicki Hartzler. She serves on two committees in the House, including the House Armed Services Committee. She represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Uh, Senator, uh, I started to call you Senator. Uh, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, welcome back. I know you're uh, you're on the House floor voting, and uh, so if you got to jump off, I, I no problem. Let's talk about uh, this announcement by Russia uh, cutting off energy or natural gas to Poland and uh, Bulgaria. What what what's the result here? What's going to be the in- the outcome? Well, I think ultimately it's going to hurt Russia because they need the income coming from that gas and uh, they're going to be hurting for it. Poland is in a pretty good position. They have uh, large stocks of natural gas and, and they also are more reliant on coal. And it is starting to come into the spring and summer months. So the dependence on uh, for heating oil will be going down uh, for natural gas for heating. Now, Bulgaria uh, has a 90% uh, dependency on Russia for their natural gas, so they're in a little bit tougher spot. Uh, but I, I know that the other countries and allies, the United States, will be rallying around them and trying to be helpful. Uh, Bulgaria also has a pipeline with Greece that should come online at the end of the year. And uh, so I think they'll be all right. But, you know, I'm hopeful that this will just uh, expedite the uh, energy independence of the EU and our allies from Russia. Uh, we should no longer uh, be buying Russian oil. And, of course, the United States, we stopped that a couple of weeks ago. But uh, the EU shouldn't either. And we need to here in America step up. Uh, and Biden uh, needs to approve the LNG export permits so that we can increase our ability to send liquefied natural gas over to our allies and help them. So there's several things that we can do to help, but I think ultimately this will be, uh, it'll work out okay. Uh, the, uh, the press asked White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki about this in, of course, the response. Well, I'll just play her response. Here's uh, her response to that question. Play clip number six, please. 
We have been working to increase natural gas supply and options to European countries that have been reliant on uh, Russia for natural gas supply uh, in anticipation of the possibility of this happening or a decrease in what they're providing. So some of that has been asking some countries in Asia who have excess uh, supply to provide that to Europe. Of course, a part of this is U.S. production. We could be doing more and we could decrease the reliance upon Russia if we were producing more energy. Yes, it's still my understanding that there is six permit applications sitting on the desk here at the Biden administration waiting for approval for LNG exports uh, and production. And as far as I know, they have not signed that yet. So I think they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth. Uh, as you heard Jen said, Saki, that she's going, they're going to other countries, asking them to help. But for some reason, this Biden administration continues its war on American energy, which is not only hurting American citizens, uh, increasing the price of gasoline and causing shortages here in America, but it's also hurting our allies. So it's time to produce more energy here in America for our citizens and for our, uh, those abroad who are fighting alongside us to try to support uh, freedom and, and Ukrainians. Uh, Congresswoman Hartzler, I want to shift gears a moment because this is something you've been talking about, something you care passionately about as the chairman of the Values Action Team in the House. And, and that is the Supreme Court case uh, that was heard Monday, the oral arguments in the case versus uh, the case of uh, Coach Joe Kennedy. I want to play a clip of the uh, of Rachel Laser. She is the Americans United for Separation of Church and State president and CEO. This shows such a clear contrast between the left and the right. Play clip number seven, please. Today, religious freedom is on the line, and it's the religious freedom of students and families, not the coach. So she's suggesting, and you're a former teacher, you know what that's like, that somehow you have to check your faith at the door of any type of public service. Well, that is so sad. Uh, You know, one of the reasons I got into teaching is because I care about young people, and they need role models desperately now who uh, live their faith out every day, who have morals and values and character and that young people should emulate. And Coach Joe Kennedy was a man and still is a man of faith, but was a coach who simply lived out his faith and exercised his First Amendment rights to both free speech and uh, freedom of expression of religion, uh, who after the game would go out on the 50-yard line, simply kneel down and give a private prayer. And the fact that he was fired for doing this uh, is just unconscionable in our country. And I'm so grateful that the Supreme Court has taken up this case. I was encouraged by the uh, arguments yesterday. I led the amicus brief uh, where we had over 54 members of both the House and the Senate sign on to our amicus brief in supporting and support of Joe Kennedy. And I'm hopeful that they will rule rightly, uh, saying, as you said, that you don't have to check your religion in at, at the door. And just because you work for uh, a school doesn't mean the government can control both your faith and your expression of that faith. So I'm very hopeful they'll make the right decision here and protect free speech and uh, faith as an expression uh, as a Christian. And I think, uh, Vicki, the the best thing we can do to protect those freedoms is to use them. And this has been a long path for Joe Kennedy. Seven years, this has been seven years to make its way to his way to the Supreme Court. But if the court rules the right way on this. We'll see a restoration, a revival, if you will, of uh, religious freedom in this country. 
and everyone will benefit from it. But we all have got to do our part. Well, that's right. And our country needs us now. I mean, our country needs the Lord. And it's up to us as Christians to be salt and light and to let the hurting world know about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, whatever your calling, whatever your occupation, uh, and to not be silent because people need to hear this message and they need the Lord. Well, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, always great to talk with you. Thanks for stepping off the House floor into the cloakroom there to, uh, to join us this afternoon. Thank you, Tony. Take care. All right. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler of Missouri, a great uh, champion for faith, family, and freedom. All right, coming up, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, as we mentioned, heard those oral arguments on Monday in the case of the former high school football coach Joe Kennedy. And both sides said they are arguing to protect religious freedom. So what exactly is religious freedom? You need to know because it's fundamental to who America is and to what we will become. We'll talk about it after the break, so don't go away. More Washington Watch still to come. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we've discussed, the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday heard oral arguments in Kennedy versus uh, Bremerton School District, the case of former high school football coach Joe Kennedy, uh, who was fired for praying in public on the 50-yard line after the football game. Now, the, the coach's supporters are optimistic that the court will protect his free speech rights and religious freedom. 
Mike Berry, one of his uh, legal advisors, was on the program uh, on Monday talking about that. But on the other side, there are those such as the president of the Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, which, by the way, represents the school district. He says that a ruling in Coach Kennedy's favor could be, quote, the greatest loss of religious freedom in generations, end quote. So which side is really protecting religious freedom? Joining me now to help set the record straight is uh, Ariel Del Turco, who is uh, assistant director of FRC's Center for Religious Liberty. She uh, yesterday released a publication on the topic of religious freedom. Ariel, welcome back to the uh, the program. Good to be with you, Tony. All right. Um, first off, before we get into your new publication, which uh, just came out, let's talk about uh, this case because it's closely related to what your uh, publication talks about. Two sides in this case who are invoking religious freedom, saying they're protecting it. What is religious freedom at its core? Yeah, I think religious freedom can be a bit of a term that uh, sounds abstract. It's thrown into these debates that are often very heated. But at its core, uh, religious freedom isn't abstract. It's quite personal. Um, At its core, religious freedom is the ability to um, choose, change, and to live out your faith. And living out your faith is really what's key here. And even in this case, for Coach Kennedy, living out his faith meant praying on the sidelines of the football field after he coached a game. So we can see how it's it's quite personal, and that's why uh, religious freedom is so important. So you kind of address this in the publication, Religious Freedom, a Human Right, and a Pillar of American Society. And, and by the way, folks, you can get a copy of this. You can download a copy of this. Uh, you can go to uh, TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. You can order a copy. You can download a copy, whichever you prefer. But you talk about the history, and and we can't look at religious freedom in the American context without looking at American history. And when you look at religious freedom, as you talked about, it's the ability to live out your faith. And as Christians, the Bible is very clear, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So if eating and drinking is of concern to God, where you work, how you conduct yourself, what you do beyond the four walls of the church matters to God. Yeah, absolutely. And religious freedom is just so woven throughout American history in a really essential way. Um, Even the pilgrims coming over landing in the what became the United States, they were motivated in large part by an inability to fully live out their religious beliefs in their own land. And so they sought freedom here. Yeah, that's a really good point, because oftentimes people, they came here for religious freedom. Okay, Don't stop there, though. That religious freedom, they wanted to build community. They wanted to create a society that was uh, just totally saturated with their faith. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why religion, it's not just private, right? Um, If you can't um, pray in public, if you can't um, express your faith, you don't truly have religious freedom at all. So... Ariel, what type of threats are we seeing to this fundamental freedom right now? Well, I think, sadly, Western culture is growing increasingly hostile to uh, traditional Christian beliefs, but honestly, it affects other religions, too. Um, We're seeing a radical gender ideology uh, taking root in our school systems, for example. So it's a little wild to think that uh, some of the things that are happening in schools where uh, teachers are maybe allowed to talk about uh, their gender preferences and uh, their sexual history, but not talk about 
about uh, prayer or their faith or even in the case of Coach Kennedy, be seen praying yeah. by students. That's crazy. Why does this matter? Well, it's so core to humanity, Tony. Uh, humans are just driven to ask these questions. Uh, why am I here? How did I get here? Um, uh, what, how should I live out my life? And these answers are often found in religion. So if people aren't allowed to seek religion and then um, live according to their conscience um, with the conclusions they come to. Ariel, but does not all of society benefit from religious freedom? So it's not just the people who get to participate in it, but all of society has benefits that are derived from this freedom. Oh, absolutely. The flourishing of religious institutions in America it has very obvious benefits. Um, you see large NGOs and nonprofits um, really taking care of the poor and um, taking care of social needs in ways that governments aren't even always able to. So there's very practical benefits as well. And even on an international scale, we've seen where religious freedom benefits national security. Right. When you don't have these groups in conflict over uh, which religious laws should be established and uh, which religious groups should have power, you're looking at a much more peaceful and a much more prosperous world. So everyone should be interested in protecting and promoting this uh, fundamental human right. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Ariel, thanks so much. Great work. Thank you. And folks, again, you can get a copy of this. It's a new publication just out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. You can either download a copy or you can order one. It's Religious Freedom, a Human Right and a Pillar of American Society. And I think it just gives you more ammunition in your fight to defend religious freedom. All right, don't go away. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking about what's happening with our children, a mental health crisis in America, what's contributing to it, and how can we help. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more to come. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. 
In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students, are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side -side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, attention men. Once again, let me remind you, FRC is hosting its next Stand Courageous Men's Conference on May 6th and 7th in High Point, North Carolina. Conference begins Friday evening and concludes Saturday afternoon. Uh, great lineup of speakers. I'll be there. Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin will be there. We have a former Promise Keeper speaker Stu Weber, Bishop Larry Jackson, and more. To register or to find out more about the event, go to StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com or call 800-225-4008 to register or go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we were talking about uh, just a few minutes ago about religious freedom and why it matters, well, here's, I think, a connection point. A new CDC study reveals how badly teens have suffered since the COVID pandemic began. In the study released earlier this month, more than a third of U.S. high school students reported poor mental health during the pandemic. Nearly half said they felt sad or hopeless and a frightening near 20 percent. That's one in five said they had seriously considered suicide in the last 12 months. Now, these studies actually show that the upward trend predated the pandemic. This upward trend of mental instability and mental health crisis uh, predated the pandemic. The pandemic only made it worse. But what, what's really behind these alarming numbers? Joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Jennifer Bowen. She is the director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council, who is, has extensive clinical and research experience working with survivors of trauma and abuse. She has also taught on psychological trauma and research methods in several graduate programs. Jennifer, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. Uh, you know, we've heard about this through, uh, you know, this kind of the second half of this pandemic, that kids were feeling isolated, mental health issues, uh, suicide rates going up, drug addictions, all of these issues. What's behind this rise in mental, I would just, I would say it's a mental health crisis. Yeah, it is a mental health crisis. And, um, and it does predate the COVID pandemic. 
Uh, it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier today. I, uh, I asked a friend of mine who teaches at one of the Ivies, and we were teaching at the same time, and I said, hey, have you noticed a difference in your student population uh, over the last few years? And she said, as a matter of fact, I have. It seems like the student body, and we're teaching graduate students, uh, so they're in their 20s, and um, they, bo- they all seem a little less mature that everything, the milestones that we had from years ago don't seem to be attained at this time. So um, that got me thinking, and I began to look at some of the attachment scores, which attachment is really how secure is uh, a person in relationship to another. I mean, we could unpack that some more, but that's the essence of it. And you see from the 90s this gradual tick down of attachment security so we have a generation that doesn't have a connection to uh, other human beings. And, and that makes them emotionally fragile? That's right. It makes them very emotional, emotionally fragile, and susceptible to all kinds of mental health issues. There's no sense of identity. Right. So the, 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 the slightest can, can, just, can just cause them to just go off. I mean, yeah. e- either externally or internally they just they go hopeless they uh what a lot of the, one of these reports we're talking about a lot of the cutting uh self-inflicted uh cutting and drug use i mean just all kinds of stuff that's related to this yeah um and and you think about just the number of people on anxiety medications yeah then it's one of the highest uh prescription rates and you think about heart problems a number one killer in the u.s what does the Bible say? That the um, men's hearts will fear them or yeah. fail them for fear. So we're living in an era that fear is palpable. You can feel it in the atmosphere. Well, and the scripture also says, be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And, and I think this is related to my previous conversation about religious freedom in this country. And, and I think, you know, you could track... As, we, as we've pushed religion out of the public square, out of our schools, out of our, really our cultural dialogue and discussion, we've seen an increase in this anxiety, this lack of um, connectedness and, and, and identity. Yes. And when you look at social media, the effect that social media has on uh, a generation, you get these immediate likes, you know, you can get immediate feedback, and you don't have the broader context of an in-person relationship that gives you feedback over time. You're just expecting, I need to know what someone's thinking right away. And that's almost like tapping the addiction system in our brain, right? That dopamine is just flowing. And we become addicted to that kind of like instead of having a real uh, intimacy, a one-on-one intimacy with human beings. So is this allowing, as I've read through the studies, and the New York Times also had an article based on this, that you have more young people that are identifying with and in, in living in a fictional world. They're identifying with fictional characters, and they're, they're I mean, to, to I guess, not, not finding a better terminology, they're living in a, in a play, in a make-believe world. Yeah. It actually reminds me of um, something that happened on the day of 9-11. I, I went to a domestic violence shelter, and I remember seeing this child laugh at, as they were seeing people fall out of the building. And I, I was horrified, but then I realized 
this child doesn't have a sense of reality. He's so used to seeing television and things portrayed in media that there's no sense of this is a real phenomenon that's happening right now and to, to be able to take in the gravity of that. And I think we have a generation that's so used to a, a digital interaction rather than a real, a reality-based interaction. Yeah. So you can be whatever you want to be. So, Dr. Bowens, mm-hmm. let me, let me, I don't want to run out of time before we get to number one. What should parents be looking for as really telltale signs that something may be going wrong with their, their adolescents? Well, look for changes in mood. Look for um, how, how, excuse me, how connected are they to other people? Are they able to relate to others? Um, but I think importantly, as parents, we need to teach them how to connect with our Heavenly Father. And that kind of relationship is going to mitigate a lot of the issues that we're, we're facing. When you get your identity from God and, or you get your identity from your parents rather than from social media, rather than from peers or what the school's saying, that's going to make a big difference in their mental health. Well, again, going back to religion, Christianity answers the big questions in life. Who am I? You know, why am I here? What, what's my purpose? Where am I going? It answers those questions, and I think the absence of that is is a part of creating this identity crisis. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's exactly what we're seeing. You take God away, we're going to see people trying to fill that gap. It's a human need, and it's going to be filled one way or the other. So parents need to, number one, be recognize the signs, this anxiety, the depression, uh, the things related to withdrawing, yeah. um, and, and not be afraid to confront it. Yeah, that's right. That's right, and I think... Um, we also need to teach our children how how to look for these things on social media, how to make yourself aware. How does that make you feel when you're viewing that? Um, do some check-ins with them because they're going to find a way. If they're really eager, they're going to find a way to look at social media. And so it's not just barring it because there are ways around the barring. Right. right. Yeah. And then proactively, as you as you identify these things, um, of course, it, it's obviously very helpful to parents at the beginning begin to walk their children through Scripture. Don't just drop them off at, at church. Don't just let the Sunday school teacher, uh, the pastor, or the youth director be the one that speaks into their life. Parents need to take that responsibility to, to disciple and to, to train their children and expose them to the truth of God's Word. That's right. That's right. It is the parent's responsibility first to do that and to impart what, what does a relationship look like. <clears throat> Can this crisis be turned around? Absolutely. I think this is our finest hour, actually. Um, you know, Jesus is still in the business of, of unwrapping Lazarus. He can unwrap the grave clothes off of anyone. And I think, um, as you know, during disasters, it's sometimes the place where people are most open, and we are in a crisis, in a disaster, and we, as the church, um, seek God, ask Him for answers. How do we we heal our land in a practical way? Not just to pray for healing, but Lord, give us uh, Ephesians 1, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know how to interact with this generation and to, to be be an oil of healing for them. Well, that's good. That's really good because this is the church's opportunity to reach a generation that is uh, hurting, looking for direction, and we can provide it. Dr. Jennifer Bowens, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. 
And folks, I'm going to continue, excuse me, I want to continue looking at this issue from a standpoint of what's been happening in our schools. Is there a connection between our children struggling with a sense of identity and who they are with what's been happening in public education in America. Joining me now to uh, to talk about this is FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon, who served at the U.S. Department of Education in the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. All right, we were just talking about this crisis, this mental health crisis that's happening in America with adolescents, with teens. And, and, and a key part of this is struggling with identity, who, who they are. And, and I, I cannot help but think about what's happening in many classrooms in America where this is being fed with this idea of, you know, pick your own pronoun. You know, we're, we're treating, you know, human life and, 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 and who God created us as if it's a Mr. Potato Head and we can just put the parts wherever we want to. I was talking today with a, a reporter who will sometimes call me on background to talk about story ideas. And she was wanting to, to write a story about a, a faith-based school that she had seen. And um, she said she was really surprised because the, the, they had started the, this, the founding of the school about five years ago. And so while it may look right now, because they're opening now that this was in a response to the closures and the pandemic and, and these force, forces in public education, really what the founders of these the school wanted was the opportunity to form children educationally based in Christ and with a with a Christian foundation to the to their learning. And it discussing this with her really struck me that when you remove um, this spirituality this, the, the, as a topic from schools and from from really being a part of uh, educating a child, there something is going to rush into that void. It's the work of childhood to form your identity. And so if we're not going to discuss our identity as Christians, uh, then other forms of um, identi- identification are going to uh, be necessary. And that's one of the reasons why you see this push for critical race theory and assigning racial identities to students and um, queer theory, assigning sexual identities to students. This is all um, because we're not addressing the spiritual needs that children have. And um, it's it's not really that big of a surprise that this could be the case. Yeah, yeah it's really, really fascinating because it's so true. I mean, I remember when the children of Israel came out of uh, Egypt, we've just written, been reading this in our two-year journey through the Bible, which, folks, by the way, you can join us at that, frc.org slash Bible. One of the first things God did for the children of Israel, he said, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. He gave them a sense of identity. And when you look, I know a lot of blame goes to uh, to social media. And it, believe me, I mean, it has a role to play. Hollywood has a role to play. But I'm thinking about where our tax dollars go into the public education system, where we have schools that are telling students, look, you can uh, you can change your name. You can de- you can decide if you're going to be a boy or a girl. And we're not going to tell your parents. In fact, some schools, it's been disclosed, actually have closed closets where the kids can change into the clothing of the opposite sex so they can role play at school. I mean, right. talk and about crea- those- creating confusion. 
Right. The only reason you need a closet like that is if a student is not able, their parents would not allow them to dress that way at home. So because, you know, kids don't just drop out of the sky into school, they leave their home and their parents and they go to school and they're they're fed and dressed when they get there, hopefully. And so if a, if a school's providing that kind of transition closet, it's because there is identity work happening and it's usually it's that's a very destructive kind of a situation because you need a closet like that when you're hiding a student's perceived identity from the parent um, and that's that's never good no. right to to divide parents and children that's that is what people who have ill will for children do and, and i would say that public education is fueling the mental health crisis that is taking place uh, among our children. It's not the only factor, but I would say it's a major factor. It, it's certainly not a place where we should look for a meaningful redress of the mental health crisis. And all the this more reason, that... all the more reason we need parents to be engaged in the education yes. of their children. Uh, we've got resources very quickly tell folks where they can find out more about how they can get involved in their local schools. Yes, we are at frcaction.org slash schools. We have support there for candidates. Uh, there's a lot of resource uh, on our website, frc.org, with policy papers and uh, guides to how to deal with these issues that All face right. your family. Meg Kilgannon, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, so good to have you with us as well. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Until next time, let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 